we going to get this thing started? Are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do it. You know why we're going to do it? Because this, 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 this won't hurt a bit. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for another exciting This Won't Hurt a Bit. I'm with my closest, dearest friends. I'm here with Josh. Hi, Josh. Hello. From the sister show, Shabam. Yeah. We don't have to do that. You can... We can, shameless. I'm just. I'm just kidding. Another shameless, shameless plug, plug within company. Uh, uh, Dave Mason, hello, and Jess Mason. Are you two in any way related? No. No, we are only not married. related. We're just married. Yeah, that would be weird if we were married and weird. related. Oh, in Australia they do that, but not in America. Like <laughs> no, they do it in America. Answer me like this: If a man and a woman married in Australia and come to America, if they get divorced, are they still brother and sister? <laughs> 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 Answer me that. That's a loaded question. Yes. <laughs> Jess Mason is an ER doc. I am an ER doc. Josh is a not not an ER doc. Producer, sound designer. Dave is a producer, sound artist. Something. Some not doc. qualified I, to be anywhere be near a patient. Real world people, and we'll be the doctors. We'll play the part of doctors. You play the part of not doctors. Oh, this will be fun. That's easy. <laughs> Jess has a story for us that involves. Medicine. Okay, are you guys ready for this? Yeah, what are we talking about today, by the way? Well, I want to set this up with a story. So let's go back in your minds. I want you to picture that it is July of 1881. Josh, could you do some real-time sound design? Go. 1881, they only have carriages. (laughs) Why don't I not do that? Well, there are things that they had in 1881. They had the first street light ever. And uh, Billy the Kid, remember Billy the Kid? He's an outlaw. But you know what else happened in 1881? President James Garfield was in office and he had just gotten into the office of the presidency. He'd been there for about four months. And President Garfield is going on vacation. He's going to the New Jersey Shore, and he's getting ready to leave. Wait, well, hold on. Hey, <laughs> going to the New Jersey, to the New Jersey Shore, Shore for hey, vacation. Hey, it's President Garfield. What are you going to do? Hey. I don't believe this story already. I'm going to put a lot of stuff in my hair, grease it all back. Hey, it's Garfield. It Sorry. was 1881. I think the New Jersey Shore was different then. <laughs> <laughs> what did they sound like in 1881? <laughs> That's a good question. Okay. Old Toby Radio, I think. Ah, to the Jersey Shore for vacation. <laughs> That's what they sounded like. <laughs> and they, everything was in sepia tone. They didn't have radio back then. It was so all in sepia tone. <laughs> they didn't have radio, but that's how they would sound. <laughs> There's no color. There's no color here. Okay, so that's where he's going. And he's getting ready to catch the train. He's standing on the platform of the train station. And there's someone else who's lurking in the shadows on the platform of the train station. He steps out from the shadows, and who is it? It's a man named Charles Guteau. Charles Guteau was psychotic. He also thought that he was supposed to be the minister to France, and he was really, really angry at President Garfield for not making him the minister to France. And so because of this, he felt divine inspiration that he was supposed to kill the president. Wait, quick question. Yes. Did um, 
did they know each other and like he got turned down the position or was it totally delusional? He thought he should be the minister of France. They may have met before this, but they did not know each other. So back then the White House was sort of like, you know, you could walk in and say, I want to talk to the president. And they would generally kind of let you do that. Hold on a minute. Right. So he showed up to meet the president to basically apply for this job. I don't know what their interaction consisted of, but it's not like they were buddies. Yeah, apparently. Right. He just had this like delusion fixed in his brain that he should have this job and now he was pissed and he shows up on the train station platform with a gun and he steps out from the shadows and he fires three shots at President Garfield. This strikes him in the arm twice and once in the back and the bullet goes into his back right next to his spine. So Ah. all of these bystanders on the train station platform, they run to his aid. And this is this is rumor. I don't know how much fact there is here, but it's rumored that there were doctors who came to his aid on the platform and immediately they start probing the wound. They just start with what digging right in with their fingers. Their fingers? Yeah. So they spend all day like picking their noses and like working in the garden and then they come and they greasing their hair. <laughs> greasing their hair. <laughs> oh, there's someone who needs our help. I thought they wore white gloves back then. And canes and top hats and so they not stick the doctors. Their, their gross gloved <laughs> finger. Either way. This is obviously not sanitary. Yeah, no. So keep in mind this is the eighteen eighties. Things are, are a little different. There's no ERs, there's no ambulances, there's no ER doctors. And there's this prevailing theory of Miasma. Have you heard of miasma? Yes. Yes, it's miasma. <laughs> yes. What happens when you can't breathe? Nah. That's when you think the disease is carried through smell. Yeah, that's right. So people didn't really believe in germ theory of disease, even though this was around at the time. Like this concept came about in the 1500s, but no one really embraced it yet. So people thought that disease was spread by foul odors in the air. And so no one really thought this was a problem to basically stick your hand into someone's wound and try to fish a bullet out, which for some reason they believed would magically cure him. So there was someone named Joseph Lister. You've heard of Listerine? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So Joseph Lister, he's a British surgeon, and he like really embraced this idea that there are these things called germs, and germs are bad. Germs are what makes you sick, and so we need to sanitize things like our hands and our surgical tools what before a we fool. operate. <laughs> what a total black That's... sheep. Like, oh, there's Joseph Lister again. Guess what? Uh, Washing his hey, damn hey, hands. Gotta... Hey, Joseph. Yes, yes, we have Joseph, to clean. Look at my hands. <laughs> they got germs on them. <laughs> Come on, guys. So anyway, his. <laughs> Theory hadn't caught on because a lot of Americans didn't believe him. American doctors apparently were very foolish and they didn't believe in germs yet. So President Garfield has a personal doctor. They bring him to his personal doctor. And get this, his doctor's name is Dr. Dr. Bliss. I think you repeat yourself. It's Dr. Bliss. Dr. Bliss. First name, doctor. Last name, Bliss. That's a lot of pressure. Yes. We named you Dr. I want to be an artist. Nope. No. <laughs> won't be That's right. not why we did not it. Right. <laughs> okay, so Garfield starts getting more sick later as the day is going on. He starts showing signs of shock. Dr. Bliss, Dr. Dr. Bliss starts to get worried about him. And, you know, he's manifesting these signs that today we, we very easily recognize as shock, right? The heart rate goes up, that we call it tachycardia. He's breathing fast. Respiratory rate's going up. And uh, today we just, you know, we'd say, hey, that's shock. Maybe you're developing sepsis. We need to treat you. We need to give you antibiotics, and uh, you know, there's all sorts of things that we would do differently. Wait a minute, can I? So, so 
when you when you say shock, that always sounds like it's a mm-hmm. it's a psychological thing, right? Yeah. But but it but what's the well? Somebody shot him three times. He was pretty shocked. Yeah, but <laughs> the, but the whole idea about like oh he's getting better. Oh that's just you recognize that as shock. What does that mean physiologically? Like f- like what's going on in your body? When physicians talk about shock, they're talking about the state where you can't perfuse your body. Your blood is not getting enough out from the heart to perfuse the body correctly. So you can have shock from bleeding too much. So all the blood is on the ground. It's not in your body. You can't perfuse and send oxygen and nutrients to your tissues. So you get sicker and sicker and sicker. You can get it from infection, septic shock, where you sort of vasodilate and it's just not pumping effectively. It's not, again, circulating. So when we talk about shock, it's a state where you're not getting the blood to where it needs Mm. to go with all the nutrients that it needs. And if shock stays around for too long, you die. Mm. But what's the, so what's the bacteria do or the, the, whatever the germs doing that's making it hard to get the blood all around? What, what, like? So it does a whole bunch of things, a cascade of things. So it makes your heart not be able to pump properly because of all the toxins that are out there. They make the blood vessels really dilate. So your blood pressure goes down. They make your capillaries leaky. So all the fluid just sort of starts leaking into the tissues and it becomes a very inefficient way to move blood around your body. It's a cascade of events. So None it's, it's, it's basically they're they're eating stuff and then they're also excreting toxins. Excreting toxins and sometimes themselves, just the presence of that thing itself is a, can produce some of these things. But in such a short amount of time, the biggest problem is all the blood everywhere. Right. So that bullet might be dirty or that finger might be dirty, but in this circumstance, in the first few minutes, yeah. you're going to die of hemorrhagic shock. Right. right. Okay. okay. And days later, you might die of septic shock. Finger shock. All the fingers Finger dirty. You. Dirty finger shock. Pussy shock. <laughs> Without X-ray at this time, right? There's no X-ray. There's no X-ray back yeah, then. Not yet. Not like yet. Like it's it's being sort of developed, right? At this time. Thomas Elder, Marie Curry, 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 Rentnagram, Curry. Those people. They haven't done it yet. So how? Did you say Rentnagram. <laughs> yeah. What's his name? That's his name. Rentgen. Rentgen. That's Rentgen. Rentgen. His chairman, or Swiss. I don't remember. Hello, my name is Wilhelm Rentgen, and I was born in the German city of Lennep in 1845, and I died in the city of München, or what you call Munich, in 1923. And six years later, in 1929, the town of Remscheid took over the town of Lennep. So now when you look me up on the Wikipedia, it looks like I'm from the town of Remscheid, but I'm not. I'm from the town of Lennep, for God's sakes. So how do they find the bullet at this time? So back then, there was this guy called Alexander Graham Bell. Maybe you've heard of him. Who? Alexander Graham Bell. Hello, he the invents phone? things. Hello, that's the guy. So Alexander Graham Bell has invented this thing called the induction balance, which is like a metal detector, hmm. which sort of you get it near metal and it goes bzzz, or some sound like that. And so uh, they were using this on him, uh, this guy called Doctor Bliss. But Doctor Bliss had this machine, this induction machine. And he was scanning where the bullet went in on the right side, and he it didn't work. Mm. They didn't find the bullet. And there's two reasons in history that maybe the, the, he didn't find the bullet. One was that Dr. Bliss didn't scan the other side of his body because he was absolutely certain he knew where the bullet was. <laughs> That's some serious arrogance. Oopsie. And two... Uh, Garfield was on this bed which had metal springs all over it so that probably produced a lot of interference. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. <that's>, <laughs> so <laughs> they didn't so find the bullet. <laughs> We're looking for okay, water. So... Let's do it in this bathtub filled with water. <laughs> 
So let's fast forward. So what's happening now is that every day the doctors are coming in, they're sticking things into this wound, they're trying to get out, and this goes on for a long time. What's amazing is Garfield lives for quite a long time. This is day 67. And this is back at the White House? Like they picked him up yeah, off the train Yeah, he's still track. at the White House. Okay. At the, yeah, mm-hmm. at the, not at the hospital at the White House, but, you know, at the White House in the kitchen or somewhere, like just right. in the room. So on day 67, after, so 67 days later after he's been shot, they've decided that they need to move him to the New Jersey shores because of the clean air to get rid of the miasma. Right. That's before the hairspray. <laughs> uh, day 80. This is September 19th, 1881. Let me describe what's happening to him now. His fevers are continuing. They're getting higher and higher. He's having hallucinations. His limbs are turning cold. His pulse is getting weak. Where do you think this is going? Death. Infection. And soon after... He dies 80 days after the initial event. Yeah, he lived a long time. That's pretty good. So He's quite quite a trooper. He was in office for... Only four months when he was shot. So he was actually... Well, no. So he'd be be president for... Like six months, basically. That was it. So... Garfield lived for 80 days after he got shot, so he didn't die of hemorrhagic shock. He didn't right. die because the bullet exploded his heart. Or Garfield actually died from a fallacy at the time, and the fallacy was you must go and get that bullet out. And so he had all these people sticking their dirty fingers into this wound to get the bullet out because they didn't believe in the germ theory of disease, and so he really died from the medical care at the time, mm. which was go get the bullet and don't wash your hands when you do it. Wow. I think it's it's still a myth that's perpetuated all the time in movies and TV, right? Like, I just saw this in a movie, like a big blockbuster movie where someone got shot and, like, they're in surgery and it's all intense and they're, they're going in and looking for the bullet and as soon as they, like, extract it and they pull it away from the spine, like... The patient wakes up. Yeah, the patient wakes up and he's like, fine. It's like... No, no, that's, that's how not, it is in movies. Like the hero really will die if you don't get out the bullet. Once the bullet's out, they can continue on their journey and kick some more ass. Get your sewing kit, first aid kit, and some tweezers. What are you going to do? It's not what I'm going to do. It's what you're going to do. But that's a different. That's a different. Uh, problem, right? There's the one problem of sticking your dirty fingers in there, which I that that makes sense to me. But I don't understand why you don't get the bullet out, right? Like I don't understand why, why we don't do that. Why, now? why would you leave? Well, you the- get the bullet out now. Now they can find it, right? You have X-rays, and we don't get the bullet out. <gasps> why do you what? not get the bullet out? <laughs> why do you not take it out? It's made of lead, right? <laughs> okay, so right, these are good questions. Okay, so when do we actually take the bullet out? It's not very common that we're going to go fishing around and digging around for a bullet, okay? So most times you're going to leave the bullet in? Most of the time the bullet stays in. There are a few times when you would take the bullet out, but these are exceptions and not the rule. So if you're like coming to the ER and you're like, I got shot in the arm, and it let's say it went in you know, the front of your arm, and instead of coming out the back of your arm, it's just like right under the skin, and it's right there. And I, and I touch it, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a bullet right under your skin. I'll probably take that out. Like, it's right there. You make a tiny little cut. You could pop it out, right? That's probably pretty easy. But other than that, you know, it re- there really has to be a compelling reason. Like, if the mm. bullet is Is in... a bullet in my butt, can you get it out? <laughs> <laughs> That's hey, a compelling reason. Don't try that line with me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but, but I don't understand. What, so does anybody get the bullet out, or is it just in the in the ER? They're like, that's okay. really the only time I'm going to take the bullet out. Otherwise, it's just really special circumstances. Like if there's a bullet in a joint then someone will operate, like a surgeon will take them to the operating room and remove it. Or if there's a bullet in your eyeball, you know, like it's got to be in a place. Or maybe they're operating anyway because you're in hemorrhagic shock and they're going to try to control the bleeding. And while they they happen to be doing everything they're doing, they're like, oh, look, the bullet. We should just take it out. Okay, so on this, this, crazy to me, uh, yeah. on this note, then, in movies, and I think there's a general idea that if the bullet is in you, it's bad. But if it goes through you... With an open wound in the back, that's better. Is that true? Like, <laughs> like the bullet goes out of you instead of staying in you. Uh, no, the it doesn't. It depends where the <laughs> bullet went. Like so, if it goes into your head and just comes like out the goes, front. If it goes just exactly. in and out, quick. It's really fast and really small. Exactly. It <laughs> depends where the bullet went. So you always see this in the movies. Like, yeah. It totally depends where it went. So it can stay in you and be a big problem. It can go through you and not be a big problem and vice versa. I mean, a bullet through your head is bad. Well, yeah, regardless of the obvious places a bullet goes and kills you, like goes in the shoulder. There's no exit wound. Got to get the bullet out. Or no. if there is an exit wound, you're going to live. Right. So, no, the criteria for getting them out of stuff is exactly as just said. It depends like if it's easy to get out and it's right there or if it's next to a structure because these things move over time. So if it's right near your spinal cord, then uh, you might want to get that out because it might sort of migrate and do some problems later, but only under specific circumstances. But, so it's not like the movies. So, so, but, okay. So there's a difference between what happens when you go to the ER and... After that, like after, you know, you you don't take the bullet out in the ER, and then what? I mean, do you just say, well, I'll just leave it in there? Yeah, or? you live you with the bullet there. Yeah. It, you, it's your, for your, it's, it's a made keepsake. out of lead. It's keepsake. Well, okay, so are you, what are you worried about, lead poisoning? Sure, that's one thing. Yeah. Well, it turns out that that is actually really rare. You know, you'd probably be shocked and horrified to know how many people in America are walking around with bullets in them. Yeah. And very few of them actually end up getting lead poisoning. Some of them do. There's a there's a slight increased chance that those people are going to have higher lead levels, but not by enough that it's going to cause a toxic syndrome. Maybe there are case reports, but this is really rare. Lots of people are walking around full of bullets. That's crazy. Tens of thousands of people are walking around with bullets in them. I, wow. I just don't understand why you wouldn't Sometimes, want to get that out. Like what? So what does your body do with it? It's in there and it's next to your liver and it's just sitting there. Must create like a little cocoon around it. Exactly. Your body's really cocoon. good at fibrosing things <laughs> off. So yeah, it does exactly. It puts really? a little calcium, little fibrous tissue, and it just sort of walls it off and it sits there. And uh, the reason you don't go and get it is because it's not a zero-sum game. Like if you've got a bullet deep in you and uh, you're stable, then we know that it's just going to wall itself off. And to go and get it means we have to cut through a lot of healthy tissue to try and find it and dig around. And the thought is that in most cases, we would do more harm trying to take it out than just leaving it in there. Do you want to just go to the MRI machine, turn on, suck that thing right suck out. It out? Yeah, that can't do any harm. So when a wound gets infected, okay... Um, this bullet wound gets infected and you get this like pus and nasty stuff in it. What is pus? What is this white pudding type thing oozing? So funny you say that because guess tapioca. what? Tapioca. <laughs> it's made mostly out of no, tapioca. Tapioca's a little chunky. 
It's got. Well, it's they like put that in afterwards. Pudding. They, they like get the pus. Pudding. They get the pus and they mix a little bit of vanilla in it and they put the little mochi balls in there and then you mix it around and you get tapioca. I just That's want why to tell you tapioca. that when residents train on like simulation mannequins how to drain out abscesses, we really do use vanilla pudding. No. We do. We really <laughs> do. do. Use a certain we really brand. Do. do. Use a certain brand <laughs> or Sarah any. Cerulite for sure. Cerulite. Okay. <laughs> it smells a lot better than real pus, by the way. So what is it? It's like, from my understanding, pus is a collection of white blood cells. Mm-hmm. Yes. The carnage. Isn't it the carnage? The carnage, yeah. The leftover remnants? <laughs> yeah, of, of the battle, of the battle that your immune system is fighting with the bad right. guys, right? Is yes, that... yes. It's dead cells of all sorts. It's dead immune cells. It's dead bacteria cells. Uh, that's mostly what it is. Yeah, the carnage. The carnage, carnage of cells. Yeah, and when there's when there's like a big pocket of pus, then that really needs to be incised and drained out. Like it's really hard for the body to kind of fix if that. If my body's producing pus, why is it bad to be in my body? It's your body. Feces your body produces. <laughs> right. Well, that's a whole. That's it's good me, to have that I have out of your body. Question about that too. There's a but, guy who never pooped and uh, he lived for no, a few I have years. A, I have a whole, and he I, had a huge colon. Yeah, I, don't, I, th- I think we should talk about poop on another show because I have a lot of questions about that. But as far as pus is concerned, <laughs> how come? The thing my body is producing. But it's it's more than the thing your body is producing. It's the byproduct of the fight. So your body is, the good thing is the white cells that are coming to fight the fight. But the byproduct of that, when the body is being overwhelmed, is that there's a lot of dead white cells and a lot of dead bacteria and a lot of oh, protein. A lot of and other it's, stuff. It's a big battle. This is when the battle is huge and there's a lot of collection and it's got to drain out somewhere. So it gets, this is actually a time when you would take the bullet out. Let's say you got shot and then a week later you've got the big swollen arm and it's pus and Jess opens it and the pus comes coming out. That would be a time when you'd go like, eh, I probably should get that bullet out because that's acting as a nidus of infection. A nidus, N-I-D-U-S, from the Latin nest, is a breeding place where bacteria, parasites, and other agents of a disease lodge and develop. And often under those circumstances is that that is a response of the body trying to push it out. So, you know, I've had a number of patients that I'd looked after over the years like that, had been shot, come back a week later, a day later, one guy 20 years later with an infected little lump and you IND it and the pus comes out and then tink, ah. out comes the bullet. Wow. You're like, good job body you pushed it out it took 20 years but you did it <laughs> you did it slow yeah so the guy wow, that's I, crazy i'll never forget he got shot in the back but he came in with a sort of an abscess on his front of his shoulder and i uh, said did was there a pimple or anything they're like no 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 like okay well i open this up and get the pus out so i open it up and sure enough the pus comes out and then out falls a bullet and i'm like did you get shot here and he's like OMG, I got shot in the back on that side about 20 years ago. Whoa. They left the bullet in. Oh, my God. And it and migrated. It had migrated somehow over to the front of his shoulder, or maybe it was always there, and it just got infected. Wow. Incredible journey. So do you guys want to know what would happen today? Let's say, like, this is a scenario today. Someone gets shot. Yeah, like someone what, gets shot. What are what the you, steps that happen? Yeah. What's yes. the protocol? Yes. Okay, so... Usually there'd be a flurry of 911 calls <laughs> and um, the first people on scene are probably either going to be there's some emergency responders, right? It may be police, um, but the ambulance will show up with the like EMT and paramedic and they'll do an initial assessment right there in the field. They will try to control any bleeding. But really, the goal is to get them to an ER as fast as possible. 
because that is what saves lives. Getting them to the resources where we can do a ton of stuff, that's what saves lives. So you show up at the ER and uh, what happens at that point is we do a rapid trauma assessment. So, you know, first we want to make sure that you are breathing and that you have a pulse. Is this done outside before you've gone into the ER? No, this is like you roll them in. We put them right onto our gurney in the trauma bay. Is this the moment I would see you sitting on top of the person giving them like chest chest compressions, compressions, like yelling and get that door open. I've been shot. I'm not having (laughs) cardiac arrest. Get off me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we generally don't do chest compressions. He also has a broken sternum now and penetrating trauma so anyway uh yeah they come into the ER. we do a rapid assessment we basically try if to stop something from bleeding so if you're like bleeding out of your arm you know let's tourniquet your arm and try to stop the bleeding and uh and then a bunch of diagnostic studies happen once we kind of stabilize you we give you blood if you need blood right and then we figure out whether or not you need surgery that's sort of the really rapid (laughs) summary of uh, what happens Mm. so okay i got another question when you get shot, obviously, well, not obviously, but like, do, do you, I mean, these days bullets are different than the the round balls that they were shooting back in the 1800s, the American Revolution. 1700. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but like, does clothing ever get caught, like get pushed into oh. the body with the, yeah. with the bullet and do you have to get that out or does, do you just, just say, eh, body will form a cocoon, I'll see you in 20 yeah, years. Yeah. Does the bullet ever bring foreign matter in with it? Yeah. Were you ever wearing flannel? 10 years ago when I got shot in the back. <laughs> so sometimes these bullets just fly right through that stuff and they pick up a few little threads, but that's all. Um, but the ones that get infected probably is exactly that. The bullet itself is probably reasonably clean and sterile at those speeds as it's flying through the air. Oh, it's probably hot too, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 But right. it's when it picks up a little of your clothing yeah. or some other foreign material that went through your you know, your butt and then into your guts or something like that. So they're probably <laughs> the ones that get infected. It's, yeah. <laughs> Now we know what happens today. Let's go back and review what happened with Garfield. So he got shot. If that happens today, lots of people with cell phones would call 911. If you're there, Dave, and you're at the scene, what would you do for Garfield? He's got a couple of holes in him. He's bleeding. What would you do? I would call 911. Okay, so you call 911, but you're standing right next to him. Is there something you can do to help? Yeah, I would start like... Making a tourniquet and cutting off some blood somewhere. Cutting, cutting off somewhere all right, so I'm going to simplify it for you. First of all, no. we've talked about this before. Stop on the, the show. bleeding by shoving a shirt into the hole. First <laughs> thing is scene safety. Oh, oh, we did right. talk about this before. If somebody's been shot like that, is this the beginning of a gang warfare? Right. Is there going to be lots more bullets? The police would really like you to not get involved in this because then there's going to be you as a victim. So uh, you've got to be very careful about diving in to save the person. Right. So make sure that this. The scene is safe for you that's to go and point. help. And that's true with car accidents. It's true with a lot of these things. Take your own pulse. You're, you might have this impulse to go and help, but stop. Is the scene safe? Can I go and help? If you get there, the simplest thing you can do for somebody that's bleeding to death is not tourniquets or anything, but just wad up your T-shirt or whatever and just put a lot of pressure on there okay. to stop the bleeding. How much pressure should you put on there? And hard. Until and it stops bleeding. Like if there's something that's squirting, going, you press firmly until that stops. And you don't even want to check. Don't take your hand off or your shirt, your makeshift tourniquet off to check to see if it stopped bleeding. Just put constant firm pressure on whatever is bleeding. Don't check it. Don't stop until emergency personnel are there. Okay, all bleeding's bad, but is the squirt bleeding worse than just 
kind of fl- easy flowing bleeding or yeah both you're right both are bad but if there's like a squirt like projectile bleed mm-hmm. that's probably arterial mm-hmm. and if it's like a pooling slower bleed that's venous you can you can still absolutely die but from still venous pressure bleeding on both. Yes, yes but pressure on both Simple yep same treatment as far as what we do in the field so let me recap first of all call 911 then make sure the scene is safe if you believe the scene is safe, then you can go and help. And pretty much the only thing you can do as a layperson at the scene generally is to put pressure on wounds to reduce the amount of bleeding. The ambulance will pick them up, do a quick assessment, drive them to the hospital. No fingers are going in that wound. He'll go to the operating room. He'll get some imaging and he'll do fine and live forever. And vacation on the Jersey Shore. And then pop that huge pimple in his shoulder. Years out, later. Out comes, that, out comes that bullet. That's crazy. Don't get involved and let the safe and pressure and call 911. Thank you. Good summary. Off to the Jersey Shore for vacation. Thanks to Jess Mason, Dave Mason, and Josh Kurz. And I'm Mel Herbert. This Won't Hurt a Bit is a production of Fooly Boo Incorporated, produced by CeCe Herbert and Bill Connor. The information you hear on This Won't Hurt a Bit should not be taken as actual medical advice. If you have actual medical questions about actual medical things, you should see an actual medical practitioner. Even though we are actually doctors, we're not your actual doctor. So be sensible and keep it real. And this, oh this. This, 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 this,